Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson. Welcome back. Been looking forward to uh, our good friends. Been way too long, and yet we so value the time that he gives us when he calls or when we call him because he's busy. <laughs> We're talking about none other than John Gizzy. John is uh, Newsmax chief political columnist and White House correspondent. You probably have seen him on many of the new or the uh, news conferences there in the uh, press room at the White House, or you have read a lot of his columns there. At Newsmax, and you go to Newsmax.com, Newsmax.com. And by the way, let me make a little bit of an additional announcement here. It's been quite some time, just to remind our viewers and listeners that uh, we have doc- talked to Chris, the president of Newsmax, on many occasions on this program. And we carry Newsmax 2 on the Dove subchannel, dot two, both on 18.2 and 16.2. So we're happy to be a partner with them. John, good to see you, buddy. How are you? Great, Perry. God bless you real good. You Uh, you too. You're right. It's been too long, and I'm delighted that the Dove is carrying Newsmax and that our president, Chris Ruddy, has been a guest as well. Many times, and uh, he's just a great guy. You guys are doing a great job, and I just want to commend you. Thank you for what you do. By the way, John, where's your hat? Come on, man. I need your hat. (laughs) Darn it. I'm going to make a little note to myself, Perry. Where is he at? Good to see you. Yeah. Well, John, a lot to talk to you about. Short amount of time. The big question is, what's your take of what's happening in Georgia with former President Trump? Clearly, the prosecution of the former president reeks of uh, a ganging up on him. Uh, You know, the trial is scheduled for Super Tuesday of next year, for one thing. And I would simply, if I were on his legal team, just simply withdraw from the case at this point, because it's becoming apparent that he will not be able to get a fair trial in terms of time or a jury that's selected from Atlanta. Um, In the meantime, You know, he continues to hold a double-digit lead in every poll of likely Republican primary voters. Have you ever seen this before? Oh, I've seen it in individual cities and with um, people who have a strong following. For example, in my home state of Connecticut, the mayor of Bridgeport, one of the big cities, Joseph Gannam, uh, actually went to prison, came back, and was reelected mayor after. Uh, that happens. One has seen this in the cases of uh, legislators who served in Congress, have their rights restored, and come back to run for office again. Marion Barry here in the District of Columbia 30 years ago is a case in point. But on a national level, and particularly among Republicans who normally punish their own, this is unprecedented. I truly would have to go back in my files and in the Rolodexes and do some research just to find something similar to this. Okay, so 
What makes the Fulton County one, John, different is that it's Fulton County. It's not the federal court system. And I know that Meadows and others are trying to get it kicked into the federal court. But if it stays in the county court system, so to speak, um, is he toast? You know something, I hate to predict the outcome of court trials, Perry. It's like predicting the outcome of an election. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> serious. But let me point this out. I interviewed recently State Senator Colton Moore, who comes from Dade County, which is just on the Tennessee border. And he pointed out that he's trying to defund the money from state taxpayers that underwrites District Attorney Fawny Willis's operation. She's paid in part by state taxes and in part by county taxes. And he said the rest of the state wants no part of this kangaroo court, uh, this uh, stack trial, and he does not want to see the tax dollars from the rest of the Peach State go to what's happening in Atlanta. So yes, there is definitely a disparate attitude about Donald Trump and his co-defendants and about Atlanta versus the rest of the state. Newt Gingrich, I think she said this yesterday or the day before, that Donald Trump is no longer a candidate. He's the head of a movement. I don't know where you draw the line there, but what do you think of that statement? Well, I mean, I realize, and certainly just like about very few others in politics, former Speaker Gingrich has a sense of history. And he once told me that he likened Donald Trump to Andrew Jackson. He's brought in people who were not normally affiliated with the party or with politics in general and energized them. Uh, Republican National Chairman Ronna McDaniel said that without Donald Trump, you wouldn't have a Republican Party, and you certainly would not have had blue-collar workers come over. I was just recently in Japan, and I discussed this subject in the sense that we've seen a change in the zeitgeist of the Republican Party. Call it a hostile takeover, if you will, but Donald Trump brought in fresh people who have different viewpoints than traditional conservatives on trade and on the U.S. role in the world. It is a phenomenon. So I, well, I wouldn't exactly embrace Speaker Gingrich's definition. I'd say he's pretty close. Okay. When it comes, yeah. Let me switch your attention, uh, John, over to the debate. This has been an interesting one. Um, as you know, Donald Trump chose not to attend. I'd like your opinion on that. And then secondly, um, it turned out to be a little bit of a food fight. I don't know how we deal with that. Uh, at the end of the day, some people are saying, that's our alternatives. Those eight are now our alternatives. Given those three things, <laughs> why don't you unpack it from the John Gizzy standpoint? <laughs> all right, Perry. Yeah. Uh, first of all, let's wait a little bit before we say, was Donald Trump helped or hurt by not being in the debate? Okay. Historically, candidates who don't participate usually pay a price afterward. And one case in point that you and I remember, Ronald Reagan mm. in 1980 sat out a debate 
And a week later, he was defeated in the Iowa caucuses. He promptly changed strategies, shook up his campaign, and appeared in the next debate and the remaining debates for the rest of the campaign. He got a wake-up call from it. Um, the aloofness, the perceived superiority of a candidate who doesn't come to debates can resonate in a negative way. And um, I would say we'll have, this is early enough where Donald Trump may change his mind and appear in other debates in the future. So I don't think it will have that bad an effect. But historically, um, candidates who don't participate in debates pay. Now, as to who won, who lost, I've heard all the analogies. There's a current argument that Donald Trump actually gained by simply not showing up for the food fight. Well, having said that, this is my prediction on the future. Uh, Asa Hutchinson and Governor Burholm of North Dakota are going to be out sooner rather than later, reducing the field to six that show up. Um, Chris Christie has surprised everyone. Even people who don't like the former New Jersey governor said he came out like a fighting prosecutor, which he was at one point in his career, and he handled himself well. Nikki Haley was aggressive and looked very strong, such as when she said to Vivek Rasaswamy, um, you trust Putin? He killed Pergozin today. And that was a very dramatic moment. Uh, Tim Scott was good and people liked him, but there was nothing new or fresh that came from him. Mike Pence, a believer, uh, a man who lives his Christian faith, made it very clear, but everybody knows that. And in underscoring it, he really didn't add to his base of support at this point. So I'd say it was a draw but watch a smaller field in the debate because the winnowing out has begun. Some have said this is nothing more than an audition for vice president. What do you think? I don't know about that. You know, um, more often than not, presidential candidates in both parties do not pick running mates who were their opponents previously. Mm. I mean, sometimes it does happen. Kennedy and Johnson, Reagan and Bush, but more often than not, it doesn't. I think it's much too early to be talking about the lower part of the ticket when we've got the top part of the ticket. Who would have thought Barack Obama would have picked Joe Biden, who got less votes in the primary than the population of Wasilla, Alaska? <laughs> yes. Okay, one other question along this line, uh, and that is, did you find it interesting that former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo did not get in, and yet he is seen as a potential something? What's your take? Well, I think Mike Pompeo, whom I've known since in much the same way I know you, Perry, from Republican National Committee meetings. He was the RNC member from Kansas before he was elected to Congress. Um, I think he's going to go on to be the Republican Leon Panetta. In other words, a wise man who will hold 
different positions in Republican administrations, possibly chairing a special commission at one point to investigate things. Um, so while I don't see him holding elective office again, I do see him holding an appointive office. I could easily see him following in the footsteps of George C. Marshall, who was Secretary of State and later served as one of the first Secretaries of Defense. Henry Stimson, uh, who was Herbert Hoover's Secretary of State, later came back in World War II to be Secretary of War. Uh, Mike Pompeo could be running the Pentagon or just about anything else. Yeah. He's a very man. Yeah, very much so. All right, let me take a quick break, folks. Check out Newsmax.com. That is the website, uh, not only for all the latest headlines. You can see a lot of articles there that John uh, is uh, involved in. And look for him every once in a while there in the White House press room. We'll be right back. We'll be back to this week's interview in just a few seconds. In the meantime, we want to let you know that you can watch this interview, plus many more exclusive interviews that happen this week on the Dove's Daily TV and radio show by visiting our website, thedove.us. And while you're there, sign up for our free daily devotional, The Word for You Today. Three months of daily readings that will connect you with God's Word. Now, back to the show. Always an honor to have with us John Gizzi. He is Newsmax chief political columnist and White House correspondent. And you can see John often there in the White House press room. You can also read his columns there at Newsmax.com. And I can say this, that we are honored to partner with Newsmax in many ways, carrying the Newsmax Channel 2, which is the Newsmax 2, I should say, on our subchannel 18.2 and 16.2. So uh, Chris and the team there are doing a wonderful job. John, I was trying to figure out how I was going to ask you this question, so bear with me here. <clears throat> it appears that the leader, main candidates, both on the left and the right, are in a legal battle as to who broke the law the worst and who's going to get caught and committed first. <laughs> it's a race <laughs> to the finish line. Right. <laughs> We've never seen this before. Both main candidates are up for breaking the law, being managed by a question that I asked our audience earlier today. What do we do when the justice system, who has sworn to uphold the law, has risen themselves above the law? What do we do, Coach? We have to deal with the Pontius Pilots of our society today until a true overhaul is made. Uh, I have hoped for a long time, and frankly, President Trump disappointed me in this regard, that a president would pick an outsider from the FBI with roots within the FBI, a former agent who's done something else. Uh, over the years. In other words, to use a phrase from former Senator Lamar Alexander of Tennessee, someone who was there long enough to be inoculated, but not long enough to be addicted. And instead, President Trump picked Christopher Wray, 
who many now blame for some of the problems you talk about in the justice and law enforcement system. He was, uh, as a resume that could have been a carbon copy of that of Robert Mueller or James Comey, former U.S. Attorney, former Assistant Attorney General, uh, veteran of Republican administrations, belonging to the right clubs, etc. One is needed, what is needed is an outsider to shake it up. And it's not just the FBI, but it's other woo, government agencies dealing with law enforcement. Um, the Central Intelligence Agency, uh, the CIA, as I said, and the National Security Council. All of them need cleaning and fresh blood there. Uh, one should take a very good look at the CIA's plan that went into effect in the Bush administration that puts the director under uh, another director that oversees all intelligence. It's clearly not working now. So a lot has to be changed. And we haven't even touched the Justice Department. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> um, I guess what the Congress is doing now is looking into um, impeachment for the president, but they want to do it through the system by which opens the door for them, A, to take their time and gather more information. In the meantime, there's this heavy push on the other side to get Trump for just taking in oxygen. Can we survive this? Can the citizenry survive this? Yes, Barry. We've survived a lot worse over the years. And, um, you know, impeachment was something that was avoided. Well, we've saw it with President Clinton two impeachment trials with Donald Trump, all under the eye of the television camera and uh, around the clock news, uh, Google, Facebook, everything else. Uh, we're inundated with news on it and we'll be inundated again. So I think, yes, we can survive. Um, what's the atmosphere at the White House these days? You're there, what's going on? Well, frankly, it's been the summer. The president's been away most of the time. Uh, so it's a matter of relative calm now. But I think that when he gets back and we have regular briefings once again, you will see a lot of questions about the subjects you just raised and a lot of intense questioning. Uh, quite honestly, I thought Corrine's uh, Jean-Pierre would be gone by now, and Admiral John Kirby, uh, the spokesman on national security matters, would be moved up to deal with all matters Biden. Not happened yet. You know, we all thought that. You have any idea why? Well, I think with the campaign coming up, they do not want to change the face or voice at the White House. It would show weakness and nervousness. That's just my uh, reaction, my initial reaction to it. I, I made the observation the other day, John, um, that it's been maybe as long as a year and a half, maybe longer. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe the total term of his current presidency, we have not seen this president 
with the press in the cabinet room. We have not well, seen that. No, he has not had a press conference in the East Room. He has not had a press conference in the White House press briefing room either. Uh, you know, now his response would be that he's given interviews to select reporters at length, and uh, he takes questions at his helicopter as Donald Trump did. So, but I would say to you that so many of my colleagues in the White House uh, Press Association pressed President Trump to restore the regular briefings. I once asked him about that at a press conference that he had. Uh, and finally they got it when Joe Biden became president. And yet, in getting the daily briefings restored, we've seen the access to the president very limited. Yes, he does answer questions at the uh, helicopter and he does sit down with reporters, but it's very, very selective. When you come away from a White House briefing like that or White House, yeah, in the briefing room there, do you feel informed? <laughs> no. <laughs> so you you got to go back to your office totally frustrated. <laughs> uh, many times I do, but also remember something. Uh, Korean very sparingly calls on me or my colleague James Rosen when we're there. And that's why you don't see us that much. People come up and stop me on the street. Are you still at the White House? I said, yes. Well, we don't see you because they don't call on me. I don't know how more honest I can be, Perry. Well, I understand that. I was kind of going to go down that road, John. I mean, is there anything you can do about that? I mean, that seems to be a snubbing that's quite obvious. Well, remember, it's a new realm for me. Under Barack Obama, Robert Gibbs was fairly uh, generous to me in calling on me. Um, Jay Carney was not. He didn't like a question I had once. Um, and put me in Siberia for a while. Josh Ernest couldn't have been nicer. President Obama's final press secretary called on me in just about every briefing and always answered questions and often got back to me. So I am not one to complain about partisanship or unfairness. Uh, this is new, but we'll just have to work on it and be patient. Okay, uh, I guess I want to come back to one other topic here uh, to uh, manage the time better. Um, do, you, do you think President Trump ends up being the candidate? Overnight is an eternity in politics, as former Secretary of State James Baker used yeah. to say. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what will happen in court. I don't know what the reaction will be. Um, I can't say. But I, and as I said in talking to a group in Japan recently, I've just seen too many certainties that are not certain and don't happen in the end. As the historian David Pietruska used to say, all things being equal, they aren't. Uh, go back to 04. 
Democrats looked as though they were going to lurch to the left and nominate former Vermont Governor Howard Dean. Mm -hmm. And um, in the end, John Kerry shook up his campaign, put in money where it was needed, and won. As I said at the time, the Democrats dated Dean but married Kerry. Uh, in 08, on New Year's Day, I was packing to go to the Iowa caucuses. Yes, they were that early then. Uh, Hillary Clinton was supposed to wrap up the nomination. And in the end, Barack Obama beat her soundly and started his long trek to the White House. Uh, on the Republican side, believe it or not, Rudy Giuliani was the big favorite poll showed. But the big winner in Iowa was Mike Huckabee. And then he could not build on that win and lost eventually to John McCain. So there are so many certain things out there that the Iowa caucuses can change. Tell you what, Perry, why don't you ask me the same question on the day after the Iowa caucuses and then after the South Carolina primary? <laughs> Okay, and the Monday after or the Wednesday after Super Tuesday. Okay, got three dates. You just you just nailed them down, buddy. I'm old friend. So good to see you. You're looking good. Uh, we do miss the hat, but I understand. Let me say to our viewers and listeners: check out Newsmax.com. That's where you can read a lot of John's articles, and uh, they do a wonderful service. And then, uh, of course, look for him way in the back of the room there at the White House press secretary. There, once in a while, he gets called on. God bless you, pal. Good to see you. <laughs> God bless you. Real good, Perry. Thank okay. you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, you can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at thedove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.